Welcome to the Coast I Sell podcast. I'm back with my guy, Max Lieberman. You know we got to do it the right way and bring on NBA champion, the hometown favorite, and, and the last drafted out of high school, Darrell Wright. What's going on, fellas? Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it. Debo just mentioned you were one of the last players to get drafted out of high school, and that's no, that's no easy feat. Uh, it's also somewhat of a rare thing these days because um, players aren't getting drafted out of high school. There's a huge disparity between, you know, being ready out of high school and different paths you can take to college, um, college, overseas, Ignite, whatever. Uh, what were your habits like in high school that kind of prepared you for the highest stage? What was your kind of day like? Uh, well, with me, uh, I was uh, such a late bloomer where, you know, I just was always athletic. And, you know, early on in my career, early on in my high school career, I, I depended on that more than anything. Just that raw talent, just going to paint, jumping in the air and figure it out when I got there. So I was one of those guys, uh, always was super skilled, always fundamentally sound. So that also helped me too, as well, into the, to the rest of my game, the IQ and things caught up, uh, you know, as I matured and as I got better. But day to day was just putting in that work, putting in that time. You know, I thought it was super important once I got the South Kent prep to, you know, get in that gym, get the extra work in before and after practice, sneaking in the gym late at night when we were supposed to be in a bed at 11 p.m., uh, just getting more and more reps in. And, uh, you know, like they say, I know as cliche as it sounds like, you know, when they're asleep, we up working. And that's literally what we were doing at 11.30 p.m. every single night uh, at South Kent. Me and my guy, Jack McClinton, and uh, Cheyenne Moore, we'd be in there doing skill work and also playing one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that really took my game to the next level in just one year. When you say one-on-one, -on -one, D, go back to that. What was it about What was it about the way you guys played one-on-one? -on -one? You know what I mean? When a lot of guys say play ones, but there's ways and handicaps you put in there for the sake of growth. What were some yeah. ways, things you guys did to to kind of add the cheat code into your development? Well, the number one thing, we played three dribbles. So that was Mando. We wasn't playing uh, all the dribbles in the world. We played three dribbles. So that made you be really creative with the ball with three dribbles. And, you know, me being uh, a little bit taller than those guys, I was able to get to my spots and, you know, raise up over them, uh, use my fakes, pump fakes, uh, ball fakes, and, get to the, my spots and also get to the rim. So I think that really helped me and it let me understand the game before I got to the league because most kids don't understand, most coaches, most trainers don't know. Three After three dribbles in the league, that's that's damn near a turnover. You got to get the ball out your hand. If, you, if it takes you more than three dribbles to get your game off and you're not a Dame, Kyrie, or Steph, turnover. Coach going to be like, move it, move it. You know what I'm saying? So I think that helped me make decisions a little bit quicker. Um, I know a lot of guys now don't like the three dribble thing because it's easy for defenders to guard you. Uh, so a lot of people go to the, the to the countdown from five, which I don't have a problem with. But I just feel like that three dribble makes you be disciplined and it makes you understand your game. And how can I get to my spot using one or two dribbles or three if I need it? You really don't need it, to be honest with you. Your footwork really gets exposed. Right. Back. Right. <laughs> All those little fundamentals are definitely going to get exposed in three dribbles. Because they, they cut that space down. That helped right. D's a lot better as the levels go up, right? Yes. Yes, it definitely is. But, you know, you, you work on stuff like fading, 
uh, all that Kobe package. That's and a lot of people, you know, felt like a lot of my game was, you know, that Kobe stuff, getting to my to the elbow, fading a little bit, using the high uh, release, and you know, just being able to shoot over guys that were smaller than. There's also like an element of of efficiency and being smart about um, with the resources, the dribbles that you do have, because as right. you mentioned in game, if you're not, it's going to get taken. Yeah, it's going to get taken away from you. So you're either trying to put your head on the rim and, and, and get over the rim and, and dunk the ball or lay the ball up or like I keep emphasizing getting to your spot and raising up. So uh, that's what made that's what made it so fun and so competitive. Because, you know, you, you kind of like, like you said, Demo, you kind of handicap in, in a bit, in a way. As the game evolved, D, what habits did you instill early on or maybe your big bros helped you instill through accountability early on that helped you be prepared to make that leap to the league? Because the game continues to evolve. So right. the guys before you and then when it got to your time, it's even harder and harder. And yeah. being that last wave to go in what habits were instilled um you know patience that was the biggest thing you know when you're a young guy you play all these me play dang there the whole game in high school you know you 40 minute game you playing 36 37 of those minutes so uh so just from having so you know being so high to just no minutes dmp uh injury reserve so i think the biggest message to me was be patient continue to work um, you know, and, and it's a long road ahead. So it's basically, it's really a marathon. And being a 19, 18 year old kid in the league, making millions of dollars, you don't hear none of that. You just want to hoop. Especially, you know, your peers that came out of high school, it was eight of us that year. You see Josh Smith, you see J.R. Smith down there playing. But, you know, they, I didn't think their development was the same as mine. I was in one of the best situations being in Miami with Pat Riley and developing me and, you know, helping me add longevity to my career so i think the biggest thing was the patience part even though i had all the potential in the world i had to be patient and wait for my turn you have to be patient for that marathon a lot of these a lot of the the, the young guys nowadays they think, take it as a sprint they expect results in a day right but it's really that the key word that you said is patience and that characteristic that that trait that mental toughness to have that patience to know that it's coming and be able to in order to develop the ability to stack days. Right. Because they, they're allergic to stacking days because this new wave is about immediate results. Yes. Yeah. I, I call it microwave results. And a lot of mm. people don't understand just because they work with you, Demo. Like, I bring my son to you to work out. I don't bring my son because what you've done for another kid. I have invested in you because I see what you can do and where the potential of my son can be. A lot of parents, you know, they, they think, oh, he did that for him. He going to make my son that same player. And it's not like that. You yeah. got to see the little small thing, the details of things. Yeah. And that's why I bring my son to you, yeah. Demo, because of the details and the way you explain things are a little bit different for me being a dad to my son. You know what I'm I saying? Know. So people got to understand that as well. You can't yeah. do the same thing you done for this kid because it's a different kid. It don't work like that. One thing you said you emphasized earlier is like getting to your spots, right? right. And each kid, every player is going to have their own spots based on their athletic build, um, you know, who they are, their mentality, what kind of player are they, a slasher, are they a shooter? Um, and so it's really important for people to identify uh, what they are good at. Right. What did it take for you to kind of pinpoint Hey, these are things that I'm really good at that I want to continue to work on. And here are there, these are my areas for growth. 
Uh, number one thing was reps. You can't be good at something if you don't put the proper reps to it. Uh, another thing is having a great trainer and coach letting me know the real. Like, hey, bro, you're not a three-point shooter right now. Get to your one-two dribble pull-up, pull-up, or get to the basket. You know, don't settle for so many threes. So I think uh, just understanding what your game is and what you can do. Uh, it, it, I, I think you're a better player if you do one thing good. You can't do a bunch of things okay because at the end of the day, what you going to hang your hat on when – that defense is all up in you and making you uncomfortable. What What is it that you can say, oh, I can get to this and I know I'm going to be successful? Most people just do a bunch of things okay, and I think that's a big problem. You got to make sure you do something really good, and you got to really work at that every single day. Like me, yeah, I was a shooter. I'm not going to just work on shooting. I'm going to work on ball handling. So when I get the ball off the rim, I'm able to push and transition. I'm going to work on passing. So when I do get the ball off the rim, I'm a playmaker. And then you already know when you throw it to me, it'll catch and shoot. You already know it's a layup for me. So you got to do a lot of things good and work on everything. And that's major. So speaking of Pat Riley, you know, one thing about Pat Riley I see is his leadership, his ability yes, to sir. his ability to lead, but at every level. Like right. he led his coach, then led his management, and then led the whole like the whole um, state. <laughs> you know what I mean? He led the whole yeah. East Coast, like so. What habits did he instill and what kind of accountability did he what kind of accountability did he push on you guys and how did he communicate that for you guys to buy in? I was one of those things where you walk in there day one, he's gonna tell you the real. This is what it's gonna be. Uh you you don't answer to seven different people or you don't go to seven different people for answers. You go to Pat for everything. If you got a question, they're gonna be like, Oh, you need to go talk to Pat. You know what I mean? And he let that know from day one, leadership. I'm the leader here. Uh, you know, my blueprint I've laid out that I studied for years. It's not just microwave results. These are real results that happened since the 80s. You know what I mean? And he's still on that same thing. Obviously, he has to make the adjustments and evolve as well as being a leader. And he understands that. So I think him just really emphasizing the hard work, the grittiness, uh, being in the best shape of your life. Um, and then just outworking your opponent. And that's what really, really sells the Miami Heat. You're going to be in the best shape of your life. You're going to be one of the nastiest, toughest, grittiest, grimiest team in the league. And if he's telling you that day one, so what does that mean? That means we're going to be in here doing sprints. We're going to be doing cardio. We're going to be in here three, four hours a day. We're going to watch film. You're going to do all the proper things to be those things he just, you know, called out. So, I think he did an awesome job with holding everybody accountable to reaching those goals by working every single day. That's big facts. Look at the Miami roster right now. Dogs. 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 All dogs. <laughs> one, of, one of the things you just mentioned was, was grit. And uh, that's more mental than it is, you know, physical, really. And I think right. one of the disservices that happens at a young age is that kids aren't necessarily taught the mental game. Right. You know? How do they teach that at the high level? Um, you know, that that's a good question. How do they teach the mental? Uh, I think with Pat, he's just going to put you through the hardest things. And if you can survive that, hey, you, you, your mindset is different. <laughs> and they emphasize the mind all the time. Me working closely with Keith Atkins, uh, somebody who I credit a lot of my success uh, in my career to, just because he challenged me every single day. And me being an 18-year-old kid, I'm on my own. I think I'm grown. 
I'm thinking he's trying to be my dad. And I'm like, bro, I got one dad. You know what I mean? So I fought him every single day. Like, we bump heads like crazy. And, you know, it took me to get a little bit older to realize he only wanted the best for me. You know, it was nothing personal. It was all business. He wanted he seen the potential that the Miami, he seen the potential. And he tried to get that out of me every day. So he did whatever it took. Whether if I missed two in a row, run down to the other end, touch the line. Whether I said, ah, or my fault, run down to the other end. Because he wanted to get all that out of my mindset when I'm in the game. How am I going to be, I'm going to miss a shot and be like, oh, man. Like, no, next play. You got to have a short-term memory. And I think they emphasize a lot of that short-term memory. And if your mind is the strongest thing, then you're going to be the best player or the best version of yourself. So uh, they challenge me every single day. Me not even knowing, me being so green. I'm like, dude, this dude want to be my dad. Uh, they treat me like a kid. No, they was trying to, they was trying to mold me to be a, a good basketball player, and I appreciate those dudes for that. So Keith Atkins, when you give somebody, when you show somebody love that, and say that there is such a big part of your success, that's so yeah. heavy. So can you give us like one thing that always stuck with you? You know, when you hear his voice in the back of your head to get through, because from you to go from the man to right. now jumping to that level in no minutes. Right. There had to be something like you was fighting them every day, but there was something maybe that stuck with you that, that really, that really get you to buy into what he was saying to get through that and grow through that moment of adversity that season. Yeah. Because he was not only my coach, he was darn near my, my, uh, my, uh, damn, I lost the word. Was your mentor. That was like your, my mentor. He yeah. was my, my psychologist. He was like, you know, <laughs> my therapist. He was, that was all your guy. Yeah. One. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So even though we bumped heads, it was still love. Once we got off the court, it was still love. He's always show his love and appreciate. Hey, young fella, it ain't nothing. And you think about Keith Atkins career, think about what type of player he was. He was undrafted. Uh, he played 10 plus years. He played, he was, he is Miami Heat. You know, Alonzo Mourning, Udonis Haslam, Keith Atkins. Those are Miami Heat players. So you got to understand the griminess he, it took for him to get there. So, you know, the, the, the realest thing he ever told me was uh, I asked him, I'm like, yo, coach, like, what's the deal? I'm in here going to work. Like, I'm athletic. You know, I, I got a pull up, you know, I can hoop. Why I'm not playing? Why y'all draft me? Like, I don't understand why y'all draft me. He was like, young fella, see, that's your, that's what you don't understand. You got drafted off potential. You didn't get drafted because you was the best player in the world. No, you got drafted off potential. So we need to do the proper steps for you to bring out your full potential. And I was like, dang. I was like, okay, you're right. I ain't really, re really ready to play. And you just start evaluating yourself and being real with yourself. That's that moment you have when you look yourself in the mirror and, 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 and you – only can be real with yourself. Like, I'm not ready. I need to get stronger. I need to learn the plays better. I need to learn the schemes better. It's not about just putting the ball in the basket. It's way more to it than just being a hooper. You got to know the mental side of it. You got to know the schemes because the worst thing you can do, and you know this, Demo, is a coach give you an assignment and you go out there and do the total opposite with what uh, he asked you to do. Mm. You're not playing. You know, you got to sit playing. down. You got to come sit down. down with me. You're, You're making up plays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not doing nothing. Unless your athletic ability. And there's some guys that, you know, their athleticism makes up for their mistakes. And, you know, the, the worst thing you see is when that athleticism declines. It's like, mm -hmm. dang, that dude ain't really no high IQ player. Yeah. He was just athletic. He was getting by off yeah. his gifts, but he didn't cultivate exactly. them. Come exactly. on. You got to keep putting pressure on them diamonds. No, fact you do. So I think that there's an element there about uh, 
kind of like knowing your role within an organization and within a team, you know, and especially coming out of being the man in high school and playing all 40 minutes to a position where, um, you know, you're playing with Dwayne Wade and, and Shaq and, you know, Gary Payton, like these are high profile players. How did that, uh, and then also moving from different teams to teams, working with different players, how did that kind of challenge your identity as a player? And how did you kind of solidify your role and figure out who you were? Yeah, that's a great question as well. And I think the best thing about me when I got to the league, I never had that dang, I made it moment. It was just business. I was like, okay, I'm on this team. I'm playing with these great players. I got to compete. So that was the thing about me. I always competed. Like, I didn't care who was in front of me, who was on the team, who was whatever. I'm just going to compete. And I think that's how I gained those guys respect from day one. It's like, oh, this dude got the – he got the the heart to go at us and, you know, maybe talk a little trash. But, um, you know, it took me under their wing from day one because I was just a – I was a good dude. I uh, listened to, to the instructions. Uh, you know, I never – had a bad attitude to him. I was always that goofy dude. I kept all those dudes entertained by being just a goofy 18-year-old. So uh, that's kind of how I figured, you know, my way around. And them let me know, hey, bro, whatever. You got to put that work in every single day. Just keep working, keep grinding. And then all that stuff is going to pay off. And it's kind of hard being a young kid listening to that. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then you see the results. And then I found myself, when I go to other teams, Will Barton, uh, Alan Crabb, C.J. McCollum, um, who it, the list goes on. All the young kids, uh, Jeremy Lin, Steph Curry, all these dudes, Drew Holiday. Like, hey, bro, your time's gonna come. Your time's gonna come. And everybody like, yeah, whatever. And now look at them. These dudes are, uh, you know, starters in the league, putting up big numbers, uh, signed big contracts. And they, they were in my position at, at some point. I had to tell them, like, yo, yo, turn is going to come. Wow. Well, you, know, you said something. You said something in the beginning of that. What what was it? You said something in the beginning of that statement. Not being complacent, I think. Yeah, where does that stem from? The characteristic of not feeling like you ever made it, you know, right. staying hungry, just that mm -hmm. humility. And that gratitude for your the always gratitude for the moment. Where does that stem from? Where, where? Um, definitely mom and dad, you know, always keeping you grounded, uh, not really celebrating things you should accomplish. Like, you know what I mean? Like, OK, you scored 30 and y'all won. Good job. But look, you could have did this better. Mm -hmm. And it, it was never like my dad. Like, I want to say, like. Uh, was Jesus Shuttlesworth that? It was never that type of thing. You know what I mean? It was never that. It was always like, yo, you can still get better. Uh, my dad used to always harp on uh, getting in the jump soles. And I used to be like, dad, why I got to do the jump soles? I already jump high. He was like, that don't matter. You want to jump higher. And I never realized. But then, you know, I started doing it. And then I had the athleticism with everything. So just those little things. My dad always made it clear that you hit, you did a great job today, son, but it's still room to get better. So when you got somebody like that in your corner and, and filming all your games and watching tape with you, it, it's kind of hard to celebrate. I don't want to say small accomplishments because, you know, you got to definitely celebrate it. But it was like, good job. Hey, it's still more work to do. So I think that's what kept me grounded, kept me humble. So when I got in certain situations, it was like, you know, I might seem nonchalant about it, but I'm, I'm really not I'm excited about it. But. What's next? So I think they kept me hungry like that. 
That is so funny. My dad had me jumping in them jump souls down the street on the freeway <laughs> with your calves, nigga, with your calves. <laughs> the ones where you strap it in the back? Yes, same ones. Them things I, had you bouncy, though. Bouncy, man. Bouncy, bro. With the, I mean, you, you do the ball attachment for the core at the bottom? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I had that whole hookup, man. Oh jumping on. We had, we had like a uh, bricks in front of the house, so I used to jump from the ground yeah. to the bricks. I'm from Hawaii. We just ran up the mountain, you know, behind the oh, house. We go. had mountains and boars. That's all we yeah. Had. But, dude, so us being fathers, you know, mm -hmm. you, you have older kids than me, even been in the game, fatherhood a little longer than me. But we all have a son, and we know how right. it goes. So how did you feel like your father communicated that to where it wasn't, you didn't rebel, you embraced it, received it, mm -hmm. and applied that, what he was, what he was giving you? You know, how did he frame it to where it was, motivating and you want and you were you were hungry to attack what he was saying it was never motivating that was a messed up thing <laughs> nothing my dad said was motivating it was like okay i got a job to do to be honest with you uh everything it, even with my dad that's why i felt keith atkins was trying to be my dad because it was just so much riff like he wanted me to be so great and i just didn't understand again being a young kid i want to go play with my friends but hey you got to sacrifice playing with your friends if you want to be a professional anything so i think um the one thing my dad uh made clear and this is the craziest thing he ever said to me and it, it was true he was like bro one day you're gonna get older you're gonna call me you're gonna be like yo dad all that stuff you told me thank you you was right and i was you know being a teenager i'm like i would never call you to say none of that are you serious and sure enough like second third year in the league being a young adult on my own i was like yo dad you wasn't lying all that stuff you told me was true, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I kind of take the same approach with my kid, just to, you know, got to keep challenging them. You got to keep uh, pushing them. Uh, you can't never let them get, you know, satisfied, never too down, never too low. It's like, bro, you got to keep Brian. It's a long, long, long marathon, bro. Like, you don't got to be the best right now. You're an eighth grader. You don't got to be the best. I wasn't I wanted to consider one of the best until my senior year of high school. I just kept my head down. I kept working. I kept working. And at some point, those genes are going to kick in. You're going to grow. You already got the jumper. All the other stuff is going to come. Like, you just got to be patient and keep working. So I think that's kind of what I, I, I stay on my kid about, man. Like, you don't got to be the best. My dad never challenged me to be the best. on. The, you don't got to be the best. He always looked at somebody else and be like, he the best. You need to get on his level. Every team I was on, it was always somebody better than me to my dad. And he used to be like, yo, he's the example you need to be following. Uh, every team, I, every sport, every team, he always had somebody pin, pinpoint like, yo, he the best. You need to get on his level. Mm -hmm. And it made me fight. It made me hungry. Stack those days. Yeah, stack, stack them days. <laughs> stack them days. When you talk about sacrifice, mm -hmm. let's talk about a guy like who I looked up to, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. The Bean, you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. And I met with Pat Garrity, you know, Raptor killer from Notre Dame. He came and talked to my boys a while back at a different middle school group, you know. I said, come spread the word to these boys down in Redwood City. Yeah. And he was able to play with Jordan and Kobe. And I said, what was it about them that made them both different from everybody else? He was said, they both had the ability to play in the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when, you, when we talk about sacrifice and mentality, what did you, what did you, one, see and Kobe when meeting him, and two, feel, feel when on the court playing against him. 
Yeah, it's the biggest thing that come off is his aura, like his, his energy. It's like, y'all, it's strictly business. There's no uh, whatever. It's none of that dapping, nothing. It's just you in front of me. I'm trying to kill you. I'm trying to destroy you. I'm trying to make you embarrass you. And I always tell a lot of kids when they ask me or adults that ask me, how was it playing against Kobe? It was great because it was a challenge. Uh, playing against a guy and defending guys, um, and they can shoot any shot from anywhere 30 times, 40 times, pump fake off one foot, throw it behind his back. He do whatever he wants to. Those are the hardest guys to defend. And they asked me how it is and how he was. I was like, one thing I can respect about Kobe is if you go out there and compete at a high level, he could get the best of you. You know what I mean? You could have a few stops block a shot. He gonna, you gonna earn his respect. He not gonna respect you if you come, oh, try to be jokey, jokey and laugh. Nah, none of that. He want guys that's gonna compete and challenge him. You know what I'm saying? You thinking you getting challenged. He wants you to challenge him. And I think that's something I did early in my career is I challenged him. I had a great game against him on national TV on Christmas. Uh, Pat Riley told me that two hours before the game, hey, you starting on Kobe tonight. And I was like, what? And after the game, I'm like, yo, Pat, why you didn't tell me yesterday? He's like, I didn't want you. I wanted you to get a good night's sleep. I, I already knew if I told you the night before, you had been up all night. You wouldn't have been able to sleep. I was like, you're absolutely right. So I did an awesome job on him. And after the game, Kobe was like, yo, young fella, good job. Hey, man, you did your thing, whatever, whatever. And after that, every time I seen Kobe, it was always love. Like, he, you know, he talked his, his trash and, and stuff like that, but he respected me just because I challenged him just like he challenged me, and I didn't back down from him. One of the um, amazing things about, about Kobe Bryant that you kind of ties into what you said before about, you know, the relationship with your father, how he's continually pushing you, not like resting on your laurels or the achievements, um, is he always would say like the story's not finished, right? Like right. you win a championship, but the story's not over, right? You have to right. still get up the next day and, you know, there's a whole nother year um, to play. And I think that uh, to have that kind of mindset, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of self-accountability. Like you have right. to put pressure on yourself to continually um, work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my question is, when you have guys like Kobe Bryant in a league, um, how do you not compare yourself to, you know, what other people are doing or, uh, you know, how do you kind of not uh, get in your, your mind that, oh, I'm not where somebody else is, you know, at this moment? How do you kind of focus on yourself? Well, you, you know, you got a job. So the thing about Kobe is he understood, like, this is a lifestyle. And I tell a lot of kids, this is a lifestyle. You want to be a professional basketball player? It's a lifestyle. It's not a part-time job. It's an everyday job. So waking up early, uh, beating people to the gym, getting that work in, um, getting that proper treatment for your body, stuff like that is what separates the superstars. And I can never unlock those things like a Kobe Bryant, a, a Michael Jordan, a Steph. They, they just on a whole nother level, not only physically, but mentally as well. And something because I, I was never that player, but I, I, I had a pretty darn good career. You know what I'm saying? I could tell the youth how to be successful and stuff like that. I can't really, I can tell you now, you know, after being a coach and watching guys, it's a lifestyle. That's what the Mamba mentality is. It's a lifestyle. Every single day, you're, you're, you're working to be great. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you got to eat right. You got to train right. 
and you got to hold yourself accountable and you got to have some real talks with yourself in that mirror. Like, Hey man, I got to do this. I got to get better. Uh, you're not here. So I think that's the thing with, when I say sacrifice, like sacrifice a video game, sacrifice the friends outside hanging out. You got to sacrifice those things sometimes if you want to be great because it's a lifestyle. It's not just, Hey, yeah, today I'm gonna go to the gym. No, you got to be there every single day and you got to be in there working on the right stuff as well. So I think that's what separates the, the greatest to all time. They were just different mentally. And they didn't do it for what a lot of these guys are doing it for now, what the game brings. They did it for right. the game. They did it for themselves genuinely. Mm. Facts. A lot of these guys now, they're not able to sacrifice at the end of the day when nobody's watching because right. they're really they're in it for what the game brings. They're not in it for the game. Right. And that's why they're not able to sustain that consistent lifestyle because mm. it ain't a lifestyle. And we're seeing them weed out. So what's very inspiring, Max, is, you know, Darrell has his hometown favorite youth basketball. And it is, it's it's a movement. You know, you can tell it's, it's a, when people are doing things genuinely and when they're not doing things genuinely. Right. Because you know, you're really in there. He's really in there, in there working with these kids, in there really coaching development on, beyond basketball. That's that's why I'm so inspired. I love what he's doing, that movement he has created, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's the biggest thing, though. Dude, I, I definitely got to say some development. Player development is bigger than anything. It's like you could play a million games a year, but are you in the gym getting better? Like you, and most teams just press. They play zone. Like, is that helping the kid out, or are you holding that kid accountable? Because once they get to high school, they're gonna be looking at you like a mess. Like, dude, who have you been playing for? Like, you don't know concepts. You don't know where to be. You don't know. Uh, defense or rotation. So I think that, that that developing the kids on the things they're going to take with them for the rest of their life is bigger than doing a step back or a, a behind the back pass or a Euro step. You got to teach them the basics before you get to, to the, to the uh, juicy stuff. That's where they develop the, the IQ. Right. Exactly. Right. Understanding on defense makes you understand what the offensive player going to do. But then the, you know, those coaches could be have, not be in it genuinely, and that trickles down. If Pat Riley wasn't in it genuinely, it would trickle down. Look, Keith, right. look, Keith Atkins was on the same sauce. Like, that right. drink was trickled down from leadership. Exactly. You know, so development, man. And speaking of basketball as a lifestyle, uh, you know, recently there's a lot of new kind of ways we're seeing players get to the NBA uh, you know, LaMelo Ball going to play overseas, deciding that college isn't going to be his route. You know, players used to get drafted from high school. That practice really doesn't happen these days. But we're also seeing things like G League Ignite. Uh, as someone who, and for the purpose of this, you know, call will consider the traditional path to go to go to college, play a year or two, and then, you know, go to draft night. But as someone who came out of high school on a quote-unquote untraditional path, what are your thoughts on the new ways of getting to the NBA? Um, you know, what do you recommend? I love it. I love it. If you have the opportunity and your family and your supporting cast feel like you had an opportunity to make that jump or go to, you know, the, the year of the G League, go for it. Why not? You know, who, who doesn't want to become a pro a year early and learn uh, how to carry yourself, how to work, uh, how to be on time? Just the little small things once you get to the league that really, really matter. So, uh, you know, college isn't for everybody. You know what I mean? I don't know where I'll be at right now. I probably wouldn't be talking to y'all right now if I went to college. Never know what might happen. So, uh, and every college team doesn't play like Kentucky. You know what I mean? Some of these guys have systems. 
And most of these players aren't system players. So will they be able to show their stuff in a system, you know, like a Princeton offense? No. You know, this guy in Brighton needs the ball in his hand. So I think that that's I think that's another reason why you see guys like Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, the Jaw uh, uh Morant. Hey man, they 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 better pros than they were in high school because it's a different game. That's the spacing is different. Uh the shooting is different. So I think that's why we see a lot of stars go under the radar because, hey, probably they were just in a bad system and the coaches couldn't see the real potential in them. And then they got the opportunity and they made the most of it. But I love guys taking different routes because I went this way. My little brother went prep school, junior college, Utah, NBA. So we went two different ways and it worked. You know what I'm saying? So it's all what works for you. Everybody's different. Yeah. Got to get to your spot. Hey, hey, you only need one team to love you. (laughs) (laughs) What was that like, you know, playing um, on on different teams? And we kind of talked about that earlier, but getting adjusted to to new players, new cultures, new environments. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that helped me is being in Miami for six years. So once I left Miami, I was a vet. So people Mm -hmm. really leaned on me to, you know, be that leader. Uh, I remember Keith, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Keith Smart coming up to me day one of training camp, like, hey, we need that Miami stuff here, Miami Heat stuff here. <laughs> so we're going to do a segment of guarding the post. And he knew I was, you know, really good at guarding the post because I had to play against small fours that posted up, two guards that posted up. So he had me in front of the whole team teaching the proper technique to guarding the post, you know, body position and where you try to force them. So just that, that, package and the stuff I learned in Miami people wanted to know what do y'all do there like everybody was so curious so they always asked me questions they always kept me in the loop with stuff and they always wanted me to lead if we were down uh you know the superstars not playing well who looking for me the assistant coaches said hey man can you talk to the team hey get them going it's not because they know I played with Alonzo Mourning I played with Gary Payton I played with D-Wade so that leadership it rubs off of you that winning um, that winning aura rubs off you, so they want you around so you can teach them how to do it the same way. And, you know, a lot of stuff I used to say was recycle bars from, like, Alonzo Moore. He had something <laughs> to say in every huddle. I'm saying the same thing as say. They thinking, like, oh, man, this boy D. Wright got his mind, man. Alonzo Moore said this. <laughs> going on our championship run. So, uh, you know, I always listened as being a young player, and a lot of people respected me. So once I went to those other teams, it was respect, and I was already a vet. And I won a championship early on, so they knew I knew the pedigree to help a team get there. So that 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 was pretty cool. Wow. Who was your OG? Who was your OG when you was a rook? Well, it was he was a young OG. It'd be Udonis Haslam and D Wade. Those are my yeah. two OGs. Uh, also Quentin Richardson. Um, Q. You know, yeah, Q used to come watch us play in high school. So when I used to go back to Chicago with D-Wade, it'd be the three of us hanging out. You know, we're still all pretty close. I talked to them dudes being there every day. So th- those were the guys that really showed me the ropes, and those were the guys that told me what was right and what was wrong. So I got so much respect for them three dudes. And what was your what was your wake-up, uh, welcome to the league rook moment? Ooh, my first <laughs> game. My first game, man. I'm thinking I'm about to get 100 minutes. I play like I play like six minutes. It was against T Mac. 
My first shot was a corner three. That thing went over the rim Stop. in the corner. That thing went all the way over. I was like, oh, yeah, I ain't ready to play. I ain't ready. <laughs> I ain't ready. I was so nervous playing my first game against somebody I looked up to. That was that was crazy. Oh, man. T-Mac was a guy, uh, bro. He was a boy. He was cold. He was oh, so cold. He had so much game. That's... And, you know, he used to call me T-Mac, too, in high school. So, you know, T-Mac came to see me at ABCD camp. Um, myself and Sonny Vaccaro was super close with me and my family. So it was like, ah, you know, if anybody talked to Sonny, it was like, ah, I got Tracy coming to see you. Uh, make sure you have a good game, okay? Just show him some things. So he came to see me at uh, ABCD camp. And then, you know, obviously the Slam magazine, when they did the punks, you know, they called me T-Mac too. I had a big old spread. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure he's seen that and heard that and remembered me. Sonny mm-hmm. like, oh, this kid is just like you. So I'm pretty sure when I lined it up, he was like, oh, look at this little street punk, man. Let me show him a little something. <laughs> All right. When, when was that, when was your first breakout game? And do you remember that moment? Ooh, my like first Like when it was break- like, damn, I'm here. It's my time. Yeah. It'll probably be the last game of my rookie year in um, in Orlando. I had a really good game. I ended up breaking my collarbone, which is crazy. My first my first bucket was a I was on the baseline for some reason. Christian Leitner gave me a little tap pass on the on the baseline. I laid it. He was like, "Hey Rook," that's what he's always talking. "Hey Rook, don't ever forget who gave you your first bucket." You know what I mean? So <laughs> shout out to Christian Leitner for giving me my first bucket. My second bucket, I dunked on this dude. He was a, a Euro guy. I forgot his name. I come on the other side, I rip through baseline, come on the other side, bang on them. Mm. I'm so thirsty to get off the rim and, you know, look at the bench. I let go of the rim. He runs under me to take the ball out. I fall, land on my shoulder. Everybody like, you see the whole bench like, oh, you good? I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. End up finishing the game. I got a broken collarbone. End up, I think I scored like eight points that game, but that was my, that was my time. Like it was towards the end of the year when the young guys play. And I was like, okay, I can hoop. All that work I've been doing all year finally played off. But the the the, the big homies was crying when I fell off the rim. Dude. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was, that was a bittersweet was so moment, huh? Yeah, well, you know, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Man, so on draft night, who was at the table with you? Well, I did mine at home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, who was there? Him, who uh, was there was with everybody. you? Everybody. I had a whole. Cause you from you from you from you from LA now, so I know they rode deep over there. Yeah. So who was at my draft party? So first (laughs) off, my little brother Delon Wright, who plays for the Hawks. Uh, Russell Westbrook, who plays for the Lakers now, who was a high school teammate of mine. Uh, Pooh Jetter, who played in the lead and played all around Europe. Uh, Bobby Brown, who's also played in in the lead and all around all around Europe. What your ones look like? What your ones look like? So I had I had a bunch of my close friends and. And right after my draft party, I I drove over to Trevor Ariza draft party. He got drafted uh, the second round that year. So we partied all night and hung out. But I was just surrounded by all my family and friends and people that basically supported me from day one. Wow, that's special, man. That's and, special, and, man. And shout out to your family and the foundation they set. And yeah. the great, the great high character, man, that they raised. And now that. who is raising other leaders? Yes. That's and important. that's just magical. It's big time. So shout out to all appreciate of them that. down there. This Thank inspiring. you, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, Demo and I are just so grateful to have you on today. You know, yeah, share man, your story you and, yeah, spread that message because it's important. And we, you know, need to hear it from guys like you. Yeah, man. The, the biggest goal is always try to inspire one. If, it, if you could inspire one person, you did your job. 
Um, I just went to my high school or last week and was the principal of the day. Second time doing it. I go to 14 different classes and talk to the kids and it's inspire and motivate. So if I could touch one kid out of the 14 classes and the hundreds of students I saw that day, I did my job. So that's what it's all about. We all got to do our part. Got to do your part. Got to give do. back. Mm -hmm. Take us out, Max. Thank you for joining us on the, this episode of the Coach Thyself podcast. We had a very special guest, Darrell, the fucking man, right? I hope yeah, we, man. I hope yes, we handled this the right way. Yes, sir. Um, and, uh, you know, big shout out, Darrell. Thank you for joining us today. Super appreciative of you spending no some problem. time with us today and, uh, and hanging out. Bless yes, sir, up. Fellas. Thank you for having me. Thanks, dude. Yes, sir. No problem, fellas. Good job. Thank you.